0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Now, let's talk about the way of Jesus. This is the series we're in, and it's based on a trip through a manuscript in the Bible called Ephesians. It's actually a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church in Ephesus that he had actually started. And it was a church that he spent more time with than perhaps any of the other churches that he started. So he knew it really well. And in this letter, he lays out for them the basics of what this way of Jesus is. And today... We're going to look at a principle that is really foreign to our world, but it's actually one of the baseline principles of Jesus. It has huge challenge for all of us, but it's also so good for all of us. And so we're actually going to look at the way of Jesus, what it looks like in a power-based world. And you have probably figured out that our world operates on power. And I would like to reference something that Pastor Shane has been teaching us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And it's a brilliant thought. And I want us to get it firmly in our minds before we jump into the passage that we're going to work our way through today. So take a look on the screen. Shane has been telling us we have a choice. And in every situation in life, we have a choice. And it boils down to, we can do things the typical way of people in our world. Or we can do things the way of Jesus. And the interesting part of that is, and the most important part of that, is that they lead us to two very different places in life. Most of us have heard the definition, one of the definitions of insanity, and that's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting what? Different outcomes or different results. If we do things the typical way of people in the world, we have to expect to get the same kind of results everybody else is getting. That would be a sane conclusion, right? It would be insane to think, I can do what everybody else is doing, but it'll end up differently for me. Maybe we go, you know, get a clue, buddy, because it can't work that way. Perhaps in no greater uh, contrast, Paul is going to take us into one of the baseline principles of Jesus and show us how completely different it is from the typical way that people in our world operate. <clears throat> Before we read the passage, I have an apology to make to all of the women in our audience today. Because the passage of Scripture that we're going we're to look at, by well-meaning theologians... Has often been misinterpreted to keep women suppressed, oppressed, marginalized, demeaned, devalued. It's terrible. Okay? This morning, I hope to be able to give us the Jesus perspective about this thing that the world has often gotten so wrong. Now, before again, before I read the text, we at New Life are an egalitarian church by theology, not by personal choice, not because it's popular in our world today, not because it's politically correct. We are an egalitarian church. And if you don't know what that means, egalitarian means that we treat men and women equally and use them uh, and give them places of service uh, equally in our church. So if you go to, for instance, the, the board of directors for our church, half of them are female, half of them are male. Now, I would like to tell you we were really strategic about that. We were somewhat strategic But there's nothing that requires, oh, exactly half have to be women and half have to be men. No. It means that we consider all men and women in our church equally when we look for people to place on the board of directors and we will put the best qualified people in those positions regardless of whether they are male or female. When it comes to staff members in our church, we will look for the most qualified staff members and we will put them in places of leadership regardless of whether they're male or female. And if you want a more detailed um, explanation of that, you can go on our website. You can go to the hamburger thing. You know what that is? The little bars over there. Okay, the hamburger signal uh, symbol. You can click on that. Go to the, the place on our website called statements and you will find our statement on egalitarianism and why as a church we believe that is God's design for the church. Okay, having said all of that, let's jump into a passage that sometimes theologians take the exact opposite way. And it begins in Ephesians chapter 5. And here's how it reads, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, let's stop right there. That is the basic principle, and everything that flows out of that is application of that one principle. But I, before we move on, I, I want to give the right understanding of out of reverence for Christ, okay? When the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it is not meaning to convey that Jesus is large and in charge and he's sitting in heaven and he's saying, you better submit to one another or I'm coming down on you. It's not that reverence. It's a different reverence. We have this statement, okay? that the highest form of compliment is imitation. When you revere Christ, when you honor him, when you dearly love him, you will want to live like him because you reverence him. So the principle that Paul is stating here of submitting to one another actually comes and flows from the fact, not that Jesus is large and in charge, but it flows from the fact that that's how Jesus lives. He voluntarily submits himself to the people he loves. Now, that's the big principle. And then Paul is going to illustrate this with three dyads. And we'll we'll jump into those right here. For wives. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife. As Christ is the head of the church. By the way. You should hear theologians argue about that. And there are so many things. It actually could mean. And the ones that really want men to be in charge. Will go that's right. The husband is the head of the wife. And. It gets ugly from there, okay? If you really want to know what that means, you got to sit down. We'll dig into the Greek. We'll look into various uses of the meaning of the word head and so forth. But just trust me at this point, it doesn't mean the husband is in charge of his wife as Jesus is in charge of the church. Because, how do I know that? Because what's the next thing he says? He is the savior of the body, not the brains of the body, not the controller of the body. He's the what? Savior. Oh, that means he gave up his life. Oh, that doesn't mean large and in charge, that means willingly sacrificing. Well, he goes on to say. He's the savior of his body, the church, and the church submits to Christ. So wives, you should submit to your husbands in everything. And That's also an interesting passage, but I'm not going to get down in the weeds. I'm going to stay up at a high level of what this means. He goes on to say now for husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? By telling the church what to do? No, no, no. He loved the church by giving up his life for her. Wow. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot, a wrinkle, or a blemish. And then he goes on to explain something that's kind of a mystery. He says, instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Okay, guys. Yep. Guys are known for pampering themselves. Am I right? Nobody wants to say yeah or nay because you're probably sitting by one of them, right? But I can tell you, as a guy, we like to pamper ourselves. And Paul, it's always been that way. Paul goes on to say, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Guys, do we feed our bodies well? No, do we feed our bodies a lot? Yeah. Okay, going on, just as Christ cares for the church. Now, here's where it gets a little mysterious, which I think is awesome. It says, and we are members of his body, the body of Christ. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Did you ever think that was about the church? I didn't. I thought that's about a dude and and, and a lady getting married. And originally it was, but he goes on to apply it. This is a great mystery because it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Huh. So again, I say, and here's his summarizing point. If husband and wife are one, as Christ and the church are one, then there has to be this mutual love and submission to each other, which is right where he began. Submit to one another, therefore, out of reverence for Christ. So, a husband must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We'll get into a little more of that in just a minute. The scripture goes on. By the way, Shane had like two verses last week. I got like 20, all right? So the next time he complains, just boo him, okay? (laughs) All right, here we go. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? He tells us. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have long life on the earth. Generally speaking, that is true. Children that love their parents and respect them don't tend to make the really dumb decisions that cost them in life during their teenage years. And therefore, life tends to go better for them. It goes on to say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the training and the instruction That comes from the Lord. That training and instruction is actually based on the way Jesus trained the people in his day. The scripture goes on. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. By the way, whenever it says slaves, in your mind, put the word employee... Because that would be the equivalent in our culture. And every time it says master, put the word employer and you'll get the right message. goes on to say, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than people I would love to do a whole teaching series on how Christians behave in the marketplace. This would be a great teaching for that. Goes on to say, um, remember that the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And then he concludes this passage by talking to the masters. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Can I just say sometimes it's hard for us to be consistent in our understanding of Scripture because our well-intentioned theologians who jump on this passage and try to preach that all women should be subject to all men When they get to this part about slaves and masters, they go, oh, but that was only for that culture and time. Hello. You don't pick and choose. Yeah, You you have to understand this passage in light of submit to one another then. So here's some things that I want us to do to keep from getting lost in the weeds where we can't see where we are and we end up with the wrong understanding. And that is, we need to understand Paul isn't teaching us that God has ordained a divine power structure in the family. This whole passage is not actually about power. It's about the opposite of power. So Paul isn't teaching us that there's this hierarchy and everybody better jump in their place. He was actually simply writing to the power structure that already existed in the Roman world in the families in that culture. But here's what he's trying to help us see. Paul is using the different people groups in a typical Roman world family to illustrate this one great principle that's a baseline principle of Jesus. So what is that baseline principle? Here it is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ there's the principle so the question is how do we submit before i get into what we're going to learn about this i want to help us apply this if you're a boss at work okay it jesus is calling you as a boss to find ways that you can submit yourself to your employees. I will let that sit in. Because I know a number of us in this audience are actually bosses at work, or we own our own businesses. And we should be asking ourselves, not only how can I direct the affairs of this company well, but in the process of directing them well, How can I voluntarily submit myself to the people I'm leading? Does that sound complex? It kind of is. Okay, If you're a husband, you need to be asking yourself, how can I voluntarily submit myself to my wife? Did you notice how quiet it got in here? If you're a wife, you need to be asking yourself, how can I voluntarily submit myself to my husband? If you're a child, you need to be asking yourself, how can I submit myself to my parents? And if you're a parent, you need to be asking yourself, how can I submit myself to my child. Because the principle is, submit yourselves to one another. Now, the principle applied is this. How can I live a love-based life in a power-based world. Remember we started out by talking about what Shane has been teaching us, that we always have a choice, but they lead us to two different places. Our whole world is based around a power-based life. Every commercial that you see, every television show that you see, uh, all the interactions, every enterprise that you walk into continually plays on this power-based way of living. And yet Jesus says, that'll get you here. But if you want to live here, there's something totally different. I was listening, actually watching a television program that interviewed a professor at Harvard who teaches a course on the pursuit of happiness. The interviewer said, how in the world did that get in the syllabus, right? (laughs) Yeah. And he said, it is a fascinating study. And she said, do you mind if I ask you some questions? She said, in all your studies, you've studied happiness for decades. In all your studies have you found any connection between happiness and money? He said, no, actually not. She said, have you found any connection between happiness and fame? He said, oh my goodness, no. (laughs) Have you found any connection between happiness and power? He said, absolutely not. It's the opposite. She said, have you found any connection... Between happiness and success or good looks or things like that? He said, no, none, absolutely none. But I think most of us live like Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof. He sings a song about if I were a rich man. You remember that song? Because his son-in-law has come from studying philosophy and Tevya is complaining because he milks cows and sells the milk and the milk is heavy and the cows get sick and he's sort of sick and tired of being a one-man dairyman. And and he's complaining to God that would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man. And he's singing this and his son-in-law hears it. And his son-in-law goes, "Tavia, Tevia, Tevia, don't you know that money is the curse of the earth? This is where we live like Tevia. He looks at him and says, "May the Lord smite me and may I never recover." <laughs> we might not want to admit it, but that's kind of where we live. So Jesus is calling us to live a love-based life in a power-based world. Now, the principle's operative question is, what does real love do with its power? I think you'll be amazed at what real love does with its power. Now, Paul illustrates this with three dyads, three contrasting groups of people. One is a have, and the other is a have-not when it comes to power okay? And so we're just going to move through this shortly, but take a look. The first dyad is husband and wife. In the Roman culture, the husband was the have and the wife was the have not. In fact, wives were considered property of husbands. They could literally be divorced for any reason. In that way, they could be bought and sold. So in this dyad... Paul wants husbands to know there's the way, the normal, usual way of people in this world where the power gets exercised selfishly and the husband then forces the wife to do what pleases him or makes life easier for him. I won't tell you who it is, but I know a couple that on their honeymoon night He announced to her, we are married now. That means you belong to me and your job is to make me happy. How do you think that went? Well, they're not married today. (laughs) Yeah, good. They shouldn't be. Yeah. Now, the wife, by the way, no one is ever truly powerless. Okay? Okay. You might not have any legal rights, and you might think you have no spiritual rights, but you have human capacity. So when I feel like I don't have power, it's my human tendency to make a power grab, right? We all try it. Yeah. So the power grab for this powerless wife is rebelling against her husband and refusing to do what is helpful for him or even for their marriage that was a problem in first century ephesus just like it is today okay submitted power what does love do with its power when love is submit when when the power of love is submitted it uses its power to lift support honor and treasure the other person in this case the wife who technically has no legal power for a wife who has no legal power or who has all the legal power means the same thing. It means choosing to honor, treasure, and support her husband through cooperation and you might add collaboration. Then go through life together as a team. Not one more important than the other, not one more powerful than the other, but equally. The second dyad that Paul takes us to is that between fathers and children. In the Roman world, fathers had all the rights. In fact, when a father got in debt, he could sell his children as slaves on the market. Children had no rights. Fathers could abuse their children without accountability. There was no legal recourse for children. That's hard to imagine but that was the way the Roman world worked. So you have this selfish power is forcing the child to do what pleases or makes life easier for him. I know guys, when they get home from work, bring me my newspaper or the remote control, bring me my beverage of choice and stay out of my world. Man, that's not the way of Jesus. That's selfish power. Children are never without power, ever. Two-year-olds know how to play the power game. They flop on the ground, yell and scream, and kick their feet and say terrible things until you're so ashamed you get them what they want. They are just playing the power grab, okay? And that never quits. Goes Teenagers don't throw fits. Yes, they do. They just have different kinds of fits to throw, okay? Because there is a power grab, and that is pitching a fit or refusing to obey. Submitted power means that the father uses whatever power he has to love his child to nurture his child, to support his child, to help his child thrive. Yeah. And teenagers and children who have submitted their power realize that if the home is going to work, they can't be in charge, even though they'd like to be. Yeah. I had a 14-year-old child who told me, literally told me, Dad, if you would just step aside, I could run this family better. (laughs) Yeah. I suspect he said what most teenagers think. Okay? But a submitted power says, I need to treasure my dad and my mom. And I need to cooperate with them because they actually are trying to look out for my good. Okay, the third dyad is this. And that is between a master or employer and an employee or a slave. And that is treat the selfish power is treating the employee harshly and in a demeaning or demanding way. Submitted power is using the power that you have as a boss to actually honor and treasure your employees. As those of us who work for bosses, the power grab is doing only the minimum and working hard only when the boss is around. None of us have ever done that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our power grab, okay? Submitted power is choosing to honor, treasure, and support the boss by going above and beyond. Now listen, read this statement with me. If we knew why our world was power-based, and if we knew the nature of God, we would know why it's so important to him and to us for us to live the way of Jesus, this love-based life in this power-based world. So here's how our world got this way. Originally, God created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, and there was no power struggle between them. Can you imagine? If you're married, I know you can't. That's funny, right? Or maybe it's not funny. <laughs> but if you've been married for longer than 10 minutes, you know what a power struggle is. Okay? Yeah, thank you, Shane. Adam and Eve had no power struggle. That's just awesome. They go along for we don't know how long and Satan comes into the garden and convinces them to do some random produce shopping on the wrong tree. And they eat from that tree they're not supposed to eat from. And all of a sudden, everything in their world changes. And God shows up. And God says in Genesis chapter 3, man, I am so sorry you made that choice. To all the parents in the room, have you ever said that to one of your kids? Yes, you have, if you're a good parent. I'm so sorry you made that choice. That, Not because I'm going to punish you that is just going to be miserable. And I can't rescue you. He's going to have to go through it. That's what God said to Adam and Eve. And as he was listing the things in the world, their world that changed, here's what he said in Genesis chapter 3. He said to Eve, your desire will be to control your husband. All the married women in the room said amen. Because that is true. And then he said the sad result is, but he is going to rule over you. He's going to dominate you. And if you study the history of the world, it is one saga after another of men demeaning and devaluing and, and just marginalizing women century after century after century. It's one of the ugly results of sin. Now, you need to understand God looked at that list and he said, I'm going to do something about that list. I hate that list. All those things, to, and, and I won't read them all to you, but these, these are all the things in your world that have now changed because of sin. And they're all bad. They're all bad. And God's ultimate goal in Jesus, here it is on the screen. I don't want us to miss this. His ultimate goal is to restore to us everything that was lost or damaged because of sin in our world. And God started dreaming of the day when there would be no more power struggle in our world that day. And it's through Jesus because the way of Jesus learning to live this love-based life in a power-based world is how God begins to restore to us everything that was lost, damaged, or destroyed in our lives because of sin. That's why he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So quickly as we wrap this up, it's important for us to know that love always, always manifests itself through voluntary submission to the one loved. Not through domination always through voluntary submission. Always. And that's what Jesus did. Secondly, love always uses its power to serve the one who is loved. Remember the operative question, what does love do with its power? There it is. Love always uses its power to serve the object of that love. I want to read a passage and then we're going to pray a prayer. Here's the passage. His disciples began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Is that the way of love or the way of power? That's power. That's a power grab right there. Okay? Jesus said to them, In this world the kings and the great men lord it over the people. That's power move, isn't it? And yeah, they like to be called friends of the people. Does that sound like Washington, DC? Wow. He goes on to say, but among you it will be different. How so, Jesus? Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. Is that submission? It is, isn't it? It It's voluntary submission. Should take the lowest rank, and the leader should serve everyone. Wow. Who is considered more important? The one who sits at the table, the one who serves. And Jesus says, (laughs) well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. I am among you as one who what? Serves. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to stand so you can stand right now if you would, because we're going to end our service with some worship. But I want to give you the opportunity to pray this prayer. If you can't mean it, don't fake it, okay? But if you really mean it, I want you to pray it out loud with me. I believe it's a prayer that Jesus would invite every one of us to pray. And it goes like this. I'll read it first by myself so you know what you're jumping into, okay? Jesus, help me from this moment to think of myself like you think of yourself, to voluntarily use my power in every situation for the good of others because I am from this moment on choosing to love every person the way you love me. If you can pray that with integrity, then I invite you to pray that out loud right now with me. I'm going to pray it for me. Jesus, help me from this moment on to think of myself like you think of yourself, to voluntarily use my power in every situation for the good of others because I am from this moment on choosing to love every person the way you love me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.